Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue on in our series, Christ and His Mission, a study of Luke. The name of the sermon is called Unworthy Fishermen, Worthy of God. Pastor David will be preaching from Luke 5, 1 through 11. Let's join Pastor David now. Uh, meet me in Luke chapter 5. As Pastor Robbie said uh, very fittingly earlier in our service, we're looking at Luke 5, 1 through 11. As we read it through, let me read uh, just the first few verses. Luke chapter 5, as you're turning there, if, if you're using the Bible in the chair and you need an express lane to get to that, it's page 1023. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 3, let me read those for us. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, another way of saying the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats uh, by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So we've got to capture the scene here. We've got uh, two boats, two sets of, uh, two teams of fishermen who have been out all night long. And imagine that you are among them. So you are tired. You've just pulled an all-nighter. Uh, you had some deadlines that you had to meet, some fish that you had to get into your boat, and you've worked all night long, and you have caught nothing. <laughs> you're tired. Uh, you're soaking wet, but things are starting to, your clothes are starting to dry out now because it's daytime, and you're tending the nets, you're washing the nets after an entire night's worth of work. And as you look over, you see the crowd that's pressing in on Jesus, and you've heard a little bit about this Jesus at this point. You've heard of, uh, of his teaching. You've heard that he is uh, one who has healed, one who performs uh, miraculous things, and here he is. Here's this Jesus and this crowd that is forming in, in somewhat of a natural amphitheater right there by the lake of Gennesaret, and, and people are pressing in on him so much so that he uh, shoulder taps Simon, who's standing right next to you, asking if he can hop in his boat, press out just a little bit into the lake, and Jesus sits down. And from this, you know, aquatic amplification, Jesus teaches the crowd. You've heard about this Jesus. Now you realize you're seeing him uh, in action as you're there washing your nets after all entire night's worth of work that has brought in nothing. And perhaps no one would have guessed or realized, or these fishermen absolutely would have been shocked with what they hear next, that after Jesus is done teaching, he turns to Simon, who's right next to you, and says, put out to the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, you're a professional fisherman. Jesus's call has pretty much just knocked you out. Put out to deep. We just were fishing all night long. Let down your nets for a catch. In essence, Jesus is telling them, let's go again fishing. Just as they're wrapping up their long nights of work, Jesus is calling them again to put out the boats into the deep and let down your nets. Look at what he says, verses uh, 4 and 5. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, here it is, 
put out into the deep waters, put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, uh, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And you can almost hear his tone of voice. You can hear the hesitancy. He's reluctant. He's hesitant. He's not sure. He's uncertain. Because this command is, is a little strange. It's actually a little absurd. Because you have to remember. Remember, you're, you're exhausted and you're discouraged. Not just the kind of discouraged. I know I'm speaking to some, uh, some anglers uh, in, in, in our congregation here today. We probably all have... Uh, felt the discouragement of going out to fish or those who have gone fishing and you've caught nothing. But this is more than that because this is, this is their livelihood. This is their profession. This is how they put food on the table. This is how they provide for their families and they have caught absolutely nothing. So they are tired. They are discouraged. They are uh, sore from all the work of, 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 of stretching this trammel net between two boats and dragging it all over the lake and coming up with absolutely nothing and Jesus says, now in daytime, put your nets out into the deep. Now you're a pro. You don't fish with nets during the daytime. Everybody knows this. It's too light. That at nighttime, everyone knows that net fishing happens at night. Why? Because the fish can't see. And under the veil of darkness, your net is, is dragged through all throughout the lake and fish not knowing what they're swimming into. That's how you catch fish with a net at this time, in this place, in this culture. You do it at night. But now Jesus has said, in the middle of the day, let down your nets. Have you ever had a moment where you've come home from long, a long day of work or you're, you've come home from a long week or a long season. Maybe you're on the train and you strike up conversation. Do you know the feeling when you're talking with someone who is outside of your profession and they tell you how to do your job? <laughs> how do you feel in that moment? This is what the disciples would have felt like. Do you hear the hesitancy in, in Simon's response? Master, We've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. And Jesus' instruction is, is beyond a stretch. It, it's a little absurd. It's, it's advice that all these professional fishermen would kind of be saying, you know, this is, this is not going to work. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why is he asking this? So Simon the professional is hesitant. He's reluctant. But Simon the fledgling disciple is obedient. He humbles himself. He submits to the words of his master. He, he heeds the call of Jesus, and he obeys the command, even though it doesn't make sense. Not really. Actually, not by a long stretch. It makes no sense. Yet, we see him in this moment, how he obeys. And notice how he addresses him, master. He knows he's the boss. He's in charge. And he's seen enough of Jesus already healing his mother-in-law, remember, in the chapter before, hearing a bit of his teaching, knowing that he is one who heals and does remarkable things. Though he's reluctant and hesitant, Simon the fledgling disciple obeys. So here you are, you and your team, both of these teams, back out into the boats. The nets that you just cleaned that are going to have to now be cleaned again, the sleep that you were longing for is now pushed further off, and now here you are out in the middle of the lake 
for perhaps everyone else to see. What are these guys doing? So you're out in this lake feeling a little bit ridiculous. You put down your nets, and it's not long until the, there's, there's, a, there's a tug in the, line, in, the, in the net. There's a slack that starts to disappear, and, and, and now that the nets are down between these two boats, you know, you give it a little tug, and that uh, little tug turns into, hey, can you tug this with me? And then pretty soon you got two hands on this net, and you start to tug even more. And you realize this thing's got some abnormal weight to it. So you get three or four guys and you start to heave. And as you're pulling it up, you're starting to see, you know, the shining, flipping, flapping tails. And, and then you realize, oh my goodness, there's fish in this net. Now all of a sudden you start to really heave. And as you're heaving this thing up and trying to scoop these fish in, you're hearing a tearing sound. And that's not good. <laughs> Your nets are starting to tear. And now all of a sudden, you've got the other boat right along with you because it's, it's turning into a kind of a code red situation because you've got tearing nets, and the more you shovel, the more you realize there is still fish in this net. And as you're piling them in, you realize that the distance between the top of your boat and the top of the water is shrinking, and that's not good either. You're actually starting to sink. In something, at this point, your adrenaline's going, you, you know, you were sore, but now you can't even think about it. You're shoveling these fish in the boat. You're starting to sink. What is remarkable is now flirting with the edge of dangerous, and before you realize it, you have two full boats of fish in a time when this is not supposed to work in the middle of the day, and you're shocked. You're blown away. You, you, it's, it's hard to even comprehend what's What's going on? Look, at this is exactly how it unfolds in verse six, is, 6 and 7. When they had done this, when they let down their nets in obedience to the call of Jesus, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, in this moment... <laughs> How do you think you would respond? You know, you're groggy. You've been up all night. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're so confused. You're a little embarrassed. We're out here in the middle of the day where everyone else knows you're not supposed to be out here. You put down the nets, and now all of a sudden your boats are almost completely sunk. So look how Simon responds. Simon responds with contrition, confession. He responds in humility. He drops to Jesus' knees. He's overwhelmed. He realizes how unworthy he is. Simon responds to this in contrition. Look at verses 8 through the first part of 10. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Now I want to pause there in verse 8 when he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. As I was studying this passage again and, and, and read it through again, when you read this story, I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm actually a little bit surprised at that response. I try to, I wonder if I was in that boat with them, how would I respond? And when I first read that, I don't know if it's just me, but my mind uh, would almost assume you think he'd be overjoyed. You, you think he'd be jumping up and down. You, you'd th maybe think that this is an incredible catch of fish in a time when it's not supposed to work. This is your job. 
And now all of a sudden you've got this incredible catch. Maybe, I wonder if, if, if maybe a response would be, man, we, we, how, how do we franchise this thing, you know? This guy needs to fish with us more often. Look at this. Or you'd think you'd be astonished or blown away or smiling ear to ear or hugging people you've never hugged before. Yet, yet he responds in contrition and confession. He's undone. And that, at least to me, that was a little bit surprising. It was a little bit of a, uh, an unexpected response, at least what I would have thought a response would be. And I think a part of what is happening, a part of what is happening is that Simon is seeing through the miracle to the miracle worker. He's seeing through the fish to the God who has commanded them to let down their nets and to catch this catch of fish. Simon is, is absolutely appreciated, along with all the others who are astonished uh, at the catch of fish that they had taken. But I think Simon is getting a glimpse of what is happening beyond this or what is happening through this. That this is not just luck. This is not just, wow, what, what, what luck we have found. And remember, there's two details that show us that very clearly. One of them, these guys are pros. They're professionals. And that means this word that Jesus has given them to let down their nets, it's not just a fishing tip that they didn't know of before. They're professional fishermen, and then number two, it's the wrong time of the day, which shows us this is not luck. It's a miracle. It's not just, uh, what a great day on the lake. No, this is a miraculous, completely out of the ordinary, and I think Simon sees through that to the miracle worker behind the miracle, and he realizes he is in the very same boat with the God of creation. He's in the very same boat with, with Jesus who has prophetic ability, prophetic power. In a time where you're not supposed to catch any fish, Jesus knows. He's in the very same boat with the God who designed the trees that were cut down to create the boat. He's in the very same boat with the God who designed the fish that lived in the lake that would be caught in the nets and dragged into this boat. He realizes who he's in the presence of. And by comparison as he is in the very presence of God, he realizes how far he falls short. And I think we, we feel a little sliver of this experience. Um, uh, athletes, you might know this well. Uh, do you know that experience when you make that jump or transition, you know, from middle school athletics to high school? Or, or, uh, or the kind of the B squad to the varsity team? Some of you know that jump uh, that you made. Maybe you were uh, an athlete all throughout your high school years. And, I mean, you know, you, you didn't want to be prideful of it, but you weren't bad. Then you went to college. Oh. Oh. Got in a little bit of a bigger pond <laughs> with uh, some just as big or bigger fish. And you felt that jump, didn't you? And I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but some of you, and I'm speaking to maybe a group that is uh, diverse enough that some of you might know that jump between college and the pro level. Oh, a little bit of a bigger pond, a little bit bigger fish in this pond. And in that experience, when you, com by comparison, right, by comparison, athletes, you know this, artists as well, 
when you get next to someone who is so beyond your weight class, so beyond your ability, so beyond your skill set, there, there is actually somewhat of an, an excluding feeling, isn't there? Kind of this quiet feeling, or maybe not so quiet feeling in your heart that you realize, man, I do not belong here. <laughs> Some of us had that experience earlier on in that process than others. Man, I do not belong here. And you can either literally yourself, okay, I'm going to take my exit, or you can feel that pressure of, man, I, I don't know how I can keep up. I don't know if I can compare. I don't know if I measure up. And in an ultimate sense, do you realize what's happening? Simon realizes he is in the boat with the ultimate bigger fish. He recognizes that he is with the God behind the miracle. And I think that's one of the major reasons why he responds, how he responds, depart from me. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. That he sees he's way outside of his weight class as he is right next to and in comparison to Jesus. I am sinful. Depart from me. Now, there's an irony in this. To a degree, he's right. This is an appropriate response when he realizes that he is in the presence of an all-powerful God, he realizes his weakness. Of an all-wise God, he realizes his foolishness. Of a God who's everywhere present, we realize how finite we are. With a God who knows all, we realize how much we don't know. With a God who is holy, we realize how imperfect and unholy we are. With a God who is perfectly pure, we realize how unpure we are. In comparison, we realize we don't measure up. Depart from me. And we have that same excluding feeling that, Lord, I shouldn't be able to be in your presence. And to a degree, that's true. That's true. That's true. So there's an irony here. If Jesus responded, you're right, that would be a fitting response. But look how Jesus responds, that as Simon reacts to this miracle with contrition and confession and humility and says, depart from me, get away from me, I'm sinful, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, you know what, you're right, time for you to leave. You know what he says? He responds in comfort and in calling, in comfort. He comforts Simon's anxious heart. And then after that comfort, he responds in calling. Look at what Jesus says. The next uh, part of verse 10 and following, um, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Comfort, then calling. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything. <laughs> they saw Jesus, he himself, all the more, more worthy than the catch that they had just caught so absorbed up into Jesus, so in awe of Jesus that they could freely leave and walk away. They left everything and followed him. And Jesus starts in this response by saying, do not be afraid. The same power, the same power that drove Simon to his knees is the same power that lifts him back up in grace. The same power that Jesus could have said, and he would have been right. You know what? You're right. You're not worthy to be in my presence. He says, do not be afraid. Draws him in, in mercy, in compassion, in tenderness. Jesus is comforting Simon, and then he also responds in calling by saying, from now on, 
you will be catching men. And notice this, implicit in this call of Jesus, do you realize what's happening when Jesus says, hey, you, come be a part of what I am doing? It shows us that our Savior, our Shepherd, our Lord, he doesn't distance himself from sinners. He draws them near to himself, that he seeks them, that he saves them, and beyond that, he then recruits them. Be a part of what I am doing. Isn't that incredible? We all know that excluding feeling, when you get next to someone who is way beyond your ability and skill and, and glory, if you will, and, and we just kind of feel like we can't be next to them, we can't be near to them, Jesus is the ultimate one of power who says, no, 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 draw near. So much so that he pursues us, he seeks us, saves us, and then draws us in, recruits us. From now on, you'll be catching men. Do you see what... Jesus is doing. He's saying, I've got a mission, and I want you to be a part of it. And here's what's so incredible about God, God the recruiter, Jesus Christ, the scout in the stands. Do you see what's happening? If the mission, if the mission was all about us, if the mission was all about you and all about me, that means Jesus would only be looking for the most skillful He'd only be looking, you know, for like the varsity level, Avenger level Christians. If the mission was all about us, he needs the best, the most powerful, the most gifted, the most well-resourced, the, the best networked if the mission was all about us. But do you realize if the mission's all about him, he starts looking with a completely different category, with a completely different mindset. He doesn't necessarily need the most gifted. He needs the most dependent. He doesn't need the most powerful. He needs the humble. He doesn't need those who have the best networks. He needs those who are going to be receptive to his call, obedient to where he leads them and guides them. And that means Jesus is the only scout in the stands who starts looking on the injured list. He's the only scout in the stands that, that finds the list of names that everyone else said no to. See, Jesus is, that, that's where I want to start. He's the only scout in the stands that starts with those who are past their prime or aged out. He's the only scout in the stands that, that, that looks past the all-stars and looks for those who, who need some work. Because the mission's not all about us. It's all about Him. And it doesn't mean that if, if you're skilled or gifted that God's not going to use you, but do you see, he's looking for your heart. He's looking for your heart. And the person, the one who knows, who knows, man, I got, I got work in my life that needs to be done. The, the person or one who knows, I've got a lot of areas where, where I'm not gifted. The person who knows, who have already been humbled by life, oftentimes, oftentimes, that person's heart has been primed and ready that they get the poor, the outcast, the unskilled, the looked over, the invisible. They already get, if this, if anything of significance is going to happen, it's because someone is doing that work through me. And God is looking for those kinds of hearts, skilled or unskilled, powerful or not powerful, networked or not networked. He's looking for the humble. He's looking for the obedient. He's looking for the contrite of heart. And as he calls, 
and we answer his call, it's his mission that, that is at work through us. This passage in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, this is a calling passage. This is a commissioning passage. And I think it's a passage that still speaks to you and I today. Do you know what it says? You know what it offers to you? That our God recruits the unworthy for his worthy calling. So let him, let him recruit you. That this is our God, our King, our powerful Lord, who can do things like miraculously fill nets of fish and put it into boats to the extent that they are sinking. And he's calling unworthy people. All of us could say right along with Simon, I am sinful, depart from me. I, don't, I shouldn't be here. God says, perfect, perfect. And he draws us in. And if God is in this work, this mission of calling unworthy people like me and like you uh, for his worthy calling, for his cosmic mission throughout history in this world through his people, let him, let him recruit you. Do you see what he's drawing you into? This incredible cosmic from the beginning of history to the end of history mission where he is doing this renewing work in our world that we partner, he calls us co-laborers in the gospel, that God, through his Holy Spirit, is still at work in a broken world to bring restoration through the power of the gospel. And he says, be a part of it. Join. Lean in. That once we see the call of the Jesus who, who calls us, once we see the work that he calls us to, do you see how worthy it is? It's worth leaving all. It's worth holding everything else in our life in an open palm. And giving our lives to his mission, his work, his call. He recruits the unworthy. And oftentimes, I definitely know in my life, whether it was God calling me to a, a specific time or season, God calling me to a specific moment of obedience, do you realize how quickly, man, we, we are quick to find excuses? <laughs> we are quick to, to point out, oh, Lord, this is why I'm a bad person or a bad example. Here I, here I am, Lord. Send them, because I'm not ready, or I, I can't do it. And this passage here we see is, is Jesus calls, uh, uh, performs this miracle and is calling Peter. When he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, we see some echoes there, don't we, with other calling passages. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6? Woe is me, I am, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Moses tried some excuses. Remember the scene, the burning bush moment, sandals are off. God calls him to lead his people out of Egypt. Well, you know what, God, I, I can't speak very well. Or, or, or who am I to lead these people? And here we have Simon uh, once again. Uh, depart from me. I'm sinful. What are some of the excuses that you and I think of? Oh, Lord, I, I, I hear you say, I'm hearing this call, but you know what, Lord? I'm the wrong age. I'm the wrong age. I'm too young. I'm too young. This calling is, is for, for people who are, who are older and resourced and more able. I, 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 I'm too young. Well, Timothy probably could have tried that excuse. Timid Timothy, do not l let others look down on you for your youth, but set an example, respond in character. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably teenagers. God uses them. 
Some of you might be saying, well, uh, Pastor, it's graciously, my, my, my question's on the other side of the generational spectrum. Here I am, Lord, but you know what? I'm too old. I'm too old. This, this work of the kingdom work, give it, give it to the people that still have some energy and optimism. Trying to hand this baton off to the next generation, and here you're asking me to pick it back up again. What's going on? I'm, t- I'm too old. I'm too old. Well, Abraham and Sarah could have said that. Moses was pretty advanced in age before he started this mission that God had called him on. Sometimes we think of other excuses. God calls us, and sometimes we say, I'm the wrong personality, I'm the wrong skill set, I'm the wrong gift mix. I wonder if Joshua thought that. Remember the moment in in redemptive history where the baton is being handed off from Moses to Joshua? Moses, the Moses, no prophet arisen like him who saw God face to face. And then up next, Joshua, you know? Here I am, guys. And you go back to Deuteronomy in the opening chapter of Joshua, over and over and over again, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Have I mentioned to be strong and courageous? Do you want to know why? Because Joshua probably wasn't strong and courageous. Here I am, Lord. You'd think, man, you're going to take on the baton after Moses? Man, you better be, you know, type A, just, you know, um, nerves of steel, can handle anything, not afraid of anything. I'll do a little, Lord, you want me to go through that brick wall? I'll do it, and I have no fear. And then you hand it off to Joshua, who's a little bit timid, a little bit concerned. God says, but you don't get it yet. That's not the point. I will be with you. I'll give you my presence. I'll give you my word. Be strong and courageous. Wrong personality, God says, perfect, perfect. Wrong age, God says, perfect. I want you on the team. How about some other excuses? Some of you might look at the call that God is placing on your life, and you're saying, hey, listen, I'm the wrong, I'm the wrong ethnicity. I step into the room, I step into the door, and I can feel the thoughts. I feel like I shouldn't be here. I feel like I shouldn't be a part of the team. Ever felt that? That already, that it just kind of didn't fit? I wonder if Ruth or the Samaritan woman may have felt that. Ruth, remember the Moabite? She would have known her whole life that tone of voice that people would have used, a little, little bit of a hard M when they said Moabite. Wrong ethnic background. Wrong ethnicity. Or the Samaritan woman who orchestrated her life for social survival. She went to draw water at a time where she felt, I just got to survive through this. Jesus says, perfect. Wrong age, wrong personality, wrong ethnicity. God says, join I want you. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing and this mission that I have. Some of you might say, well, I got, I got the wrong history. I got the wrong background. Some people have uh, skeletons in their closet. I got, I got a whole graveyard in my closet. <laughs> How could God use me? You want, you want to know who you need to look at? Paul. Saul turned Paul. The ex-terrorist Saul who sought out Christians to kill them. Look at King David, adulterer and murderer. Moses had a little bit of murder in his background as well. Look at virtually every single character in the biblical story that God uses profoundly, and you will find messed up backgrounds. You might say, oh, I got the wrong history. I got the wrong track record. God says, because if the mission was all about us, it's a big deal that we're a big deal. 
but it's the mission is all about him. It's a big deal that he is a big deal. Could it be that when God calls you and straight to your mind comes the, the first excuse that all of the things that you say, Lord, I'm unworthy, and, and this is the reason why. Could it be that the very thing that makes you feel like you are unworthy is the very thing that God wants you to use to, to show that he is worthy, that he is sufficient? He keeps using the weak to shame the strong. He keeps using the, the, the broken to show his mercy and grace. The mission is not about us. It's about him. And he starts the search from the injured list so that when he works, it is no, it, there's no way to confuse it that it's his work working through us. If he only recruited the all-stars, the Avenger-level Christians, and the team won, do you see how easy it would be to take credit for that? Well, you know, some some pretty incredible people on that mission. But what if he used a bunch of people like you and me? How flattering, Pastor David. <laughs> Thank you for this word of encouragement. But do you see, he turns it on its head. It's so accessible. It's accessible to all of us to be a part of what God is doing. And when he includes us on his mission, he gets all the glory. And we sit there in the boat astonished, not at what we have done, but what he has done. He recruits the unworthy for his worthy calling. Let him. Let him recruit you. What is, what, is, what is it in your heart and your mind? Is there anything that as you feel the tug of, of God's call on your life, and that might be a whole bunch of different things, whether that's an individual calling, whether that's a, a calling as you partner together with us as a community to seek to carry on the work that God has given to us, is there anything, any roadblocks in your heart and your mind thinking, ah, you know, I'm kind of interested, but I'm not sure. Would you release those to him? Would you realize that that very thing that you think is the roadblock of God working through you might be the very reason exactly why he wants to work through you? Let him recruit you. You might wonder, well, where do I start? How do I even think about beginning? As I mentioned, this might be an individual calling, people that God has placed in your life, a vocation that God has entrusted you to reside in, uh, uh, neighbors and family that God has only given you the ability to be shoulder to shoulder with. It might be an individual calling, but it also can be a corporate calling, a calling to do this work together. One of the ways, one of the ways we want to make this ability to partner with what God is doing accessible is through our small groups, that between now and the year 2030, a large part of what we're trying to fan to flame is small groups of people, yes, growing together, prayer, uh, word, life together, but also going together, going together on God's mission. This is not a light switch. Uh, this, this, is, this is something to fan to flame over the next eight years, if, if you will. And we're so committed to this that we're even restructuring how we do adult discipleship. Got Pastor Eric Lundin coming in like literally a week. Uh, we've just restructured things and brought on another person to, to uh, and repurpose their work to be a part of this small group uh, efforts. We're so committed to this that we want to lean into this and fan this to flame that no matter what small group you find yourself in, whether it's a small group of men or women, whether it's a small group of moms, whether it's a small group of, 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 of couples or families, young or old, 
we want to start fanning to flame this DNA in the very discipleship-making work that we do that we absolutely grow together. We need that. You can't have a mature disciple without growing together, but you also can't have a mature disciple without going together. To go on God's mission. Here's an example. One example. We've got a small group uh, currently, a group of ladies who head down to Devon Street in Chicago, and they sew with refugees. But guess what they also do? They're laughing together. They're building relationships with our neighbors. Uh, they're pouring in. I was speaking to one of these ladies, and she was reflecting in the joy in her face. She's describing, you know, and, and sometimes there's, because uh, in this instance, there can be a measure of a language barrier, but the love shared, a smile is universal, and the relationship that is built in this experience, do you see what's happening? We're going together. We're reaching our neighbors. We're getting shoulder to shoulder, being salt of the earth, light of the world, God through us working. Now, your small group, you might say, I don't have, an, I don't have a sewing bone in my body. I, can't, I, can't, I can barely sew my shoelaces together in the morning. It might not be sewing for you. It might be something else. Maybe you're just getting your small group you know, periodically and going and packing, packing food with Feed My Starving Children. Maybe it's an opportunity where your small group says, you know what, this, this week we're going we're gonna to put pause and then go help out with Love, Inc. and do some projects. Maybe it's something that your small group says, you know what, there's just an opportunity that's arisen and let's just jump at it. And a part of what we want to do that we're seeking to cultivate over this next eight years is coordinating our discipleship efforts with our outreach efforts so that we can help mobilize you and send you on this incredible work of going together. So I would encourage you, I would encourage you. Again, this is not a light switch. This is a marathon, something that we want to cultivate over the next eight years. So I want to encourage you, next time your small group meets, start the conversation. Just start the conversation. How might God be calling us to go together? What unique calling, what unique niche of the kingdom, what unique opportunities for outreach might our small group have? It might be twice a year that you put pause on praying and getting into God's word and, and doing life together. Continue to pray, but then go together. Maybe, maybe it's just twice a year. Maybe it's three times a year. Maybe it's once a quarter. Start the conversation. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. Don't worry. When it comes, do not be concerned. You're going to start to toss out some ideas as you're uh, dialoguing with one another, and in your heart you're going to say, that is a ridiculous idea. That is never going to work. Wrong. It's, everything's wrong all about it. <laughs> when that happens, take a deep breath. <laughs> if God is in it, if God is calling, if God is guiding, and if we are responding to that call in obedience, my friends, do not be surprised when your boat starts to fill with fish. Do not be surprised. When God calls you to do something that seems a little bit out there, put down my nets. When? I, I, I don't get it, Lord, but because you have asked, I will obey. In those moments, don't be shocked. Don't be astonished. When you realize that the God of the universe is working through you, he recruits the unworthy for his worthy calling. Let him. Let him recruit you. Let's pray.
Father, even now as I reflect, as we reflect together on this passage, we do, we do feel a sense of our inability. We do uh, feel tangibly uh, our weaknesses. May you show us again how your power is made perfect in our weakness. Show us again that you are the God who does things like splits the Red Sea. You are the God who tears down walls by commanding us to march around them. You're a God that fills boats full of fish. You're a God that raises the dead and heals the sick. You are the God that would walk to and through the grave and raise to the other side. Father, even now as I pray, would you forgive me, Lord? The times where I have forgotten that you are king, king of all creation, and that what you call us to, Lord, you will sustain, you will provide, you will guide, you will carry, you will equip. We want to be a community so obedient, so dependent, that we have no other option but to say, not look at us, but look at our God. Form that heart in us. May it be true. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.